Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What's up, podcast fam? Today, my guest is Jack Johnson, not the singer, but an ultra marathon runner. Jack actually reached out to me, found us through some of our marketing, and said he had a story to share. I ended up catching up with Jack and Indeed, he did. He, on this podcast, we talk about how he ended up finding ultra marathon running, what it's like, what that experience is like, and what it's like being out for hours after hours, uh, pounding the pavement and running a hundred plus miles at a time. So, with that, tune in and uh, lots of lessons in this one. And for anyone interested in ultra marathon running. So I'm really excited to have you on the show. Really excited to hear more about your journey, your story, and appreciate also, you know, I know we spoke previously and appreciate all the the content that you gave me previously around your background, your story, and how you found running and had actually a lot of questions around that. So for one, you you didn't always run, is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. So I uh, started out running, you know, grew up in, in from growing youth, playing basketball, tennis, baseball didn't get into running until later in life had graduated college and moved up to Atlanta and got into running through a buddy of mine challenged me to run a marathon before we turned 30 and that's what began it all that challenge at the age of 30 he challenged you to see if you could run a marathon or how fast you could run it what was the challenge the challenge was to uh we both said hey look we're turning 30 this year it's a big milestone year for us let's let's train for this thing so we're 29 we're training I'm training all along, and I'm in Atlanta at this point. He's back in Pensacola hometown, and um, you know we're sharing banner back and forth. I'm going to beat you. And Parker <laughs> gets to the starting line and says, hey, man, joke's on you. I really haven't been training, and go take off and do this marathon. So it was really the ultimate prank, but it, it catapulted me into getting running and, and just started to enjoy it. Oh, man, so he didn't, he didn't train at all. Dude did not train at all, no. And he didn't run in the end? Not at all. <laughs> he should have run untrained. <laughs> so you trained for that first marathon. And were you following a strict plan at this point where you were just trying to beat your buddy? I did. Just there was so much unknown because leading up to that and, and just saying that I'd done a couple funsy 5K, 10Ks, but nothing too crazy. So I followed a Hal Higdon plan like most people do and ultra mar- or marathoners. You can jump on, but it's Hal Higdon and kind of follows a set plan of, hey, you know, you're going to run four, five, six days a week whatever your schedule allows, here's your weekly mileage recommended. So I follow that pretty close to the T for the first marathon. Mm. So take take us through. So you run your first marathon at that point after, were you like, I'm going to do this again? Where do you net out there? So I ran pretty good. The first one, it didn't really have the expectations of, of you know, going out and setting the world on fire, but I knew I could 
you know, do pretty good in it. Training went well leading up to it. So I ran the first marathon was a 322. And at that point, to get into Boston, it was under a 310. 322 is still still very fast, though. I mean, for the yeah. average person who trains for a marathon, I looked it up a while back, but the average runtime for a marathon is maybe 440, maybe even longer than that. Right. Yeah, the training went good, man. It was just a matter of it naturally came to me. And that plan, the Hal Higdon plan, it got me to do some tempo runs. And it wasn't too overwhelming. So, you know, I got to where I was like really close to that Boston Marathon time. So that's what I won't say that I loved running at that point. It was more of let's go chase and try to get that BQ, which for an amateur runner, that's always the penultimate challenge is to try to get that and achieve it and, and get to Boston. Got it. So, okay. So after your first marathon, you finished at around 322 and then you wanted to get into Boston. That was the next goal. Yeah. Next goal, man. So, so trained up, I had signed up for the Nashville marathon. This was back in 07 was the first marathon. And then in 08 qualified for Boston and Nashville, just under the, under the line, like a 309 time. So you qualified for Boston and then did you run Boston? I did. Yep. Ran Boston in 2009. Got it. So at this point, that was your third marathon or? Yep. Yeah, that point, third marathon, man. So I'm, you know, become, it was all roads at that point and just get out and grind out X amount of miles per week and um, see how fast I can get. Boston's a big one. I feel Boston is one of the, one of, if not the most like iconic marathons to run. Is that, is that right? It is. Yeah. If you can get that, that's what most people, when I say amateurs try to get to that level of you know, in time that somebody's chasing a time goal, it's usually what do I need to run to get to Boston? What was it like competing in, in that marathon? It was good, man. I mean, I, I came into it. We had just had our first son. So um, I went up there. Actually, my mom went with me and we had a good run up there. I mean, it was, I had started getting some leg injuries, just an IT band, a couple of the things that started to bark up leading into Boston. So I think my Boston time, man, I'm dragging my leg across the finish line. IT band kicked up at about mile 16, 17. But I mean, I think that was like four hours and some change to finish that up. So it was just, you know, I knew I wasn't going to quit. I, you know, paid the money, got the experience, even though it was painful that last six, seven, eight miles. Just to be there, man, the fan support was was overwhelming. So I only ran the New York Marathon, but um, I never went to a marathon before to watch it. And I had no expectations in terms of what the experience would be like or what the day would go like. Yeah, it's 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 definitely inspiring, I guess, running and seeing uh, everyone cheering, etc. Oh, it's great. Ultra marathon running is you're in the woods. You barely, rarely see anybody other than the old, other runners. But, you know, so I went from those events where there might be 10, 20, 30, 40,000 people to where now there may be 150, 200 people in a run. Yeah. So after Boston, at what point do you decide you want to start doing ultra races? So Boston was in uh, 09, and I ran my first uh, 50K in 2010. And that was really just uh, me kind of starting to go through and hit some training runs in the trails. I live in Atlanta, about 20 miles north of the city. So a few trails around us that I started to peek around. I'm like, man, I, I, I'm starting to enjoy not going out and having just pound the pavement, look at the sidewalk, but not really unplug than just jackhammer in the streets so that's that that's what led me into starting to enjoy that longer distance and really just spending that full day in the woods so after boston though at, at what point did you sign up for the ultra the first ultra the ultra was a few months after boston 
So that was, um, you know, took a few months off to heal up the leg, the IT band coming off of Boston, started to get the runs going again and, uh, and signed up for the, for a trail race in Alabama. Mm. So I find it fascinating that this all started as, as a challenge and it seems like, uh, with, with a buddy and it seems like this really opened up a passion, something that you really started to enjoy. It did, Dan. I mean, that was, that was the, you know, and it clicked, right? And some of those runs after Boston. So it really took me a couple of years because it was all about the goal and, you know, how fast I could get. And then it just became more of that routine. And this is part of my life. It's what I started to attach a lot of my, you know, drive and started saying, look, man, I, I love pushing myself, whether it was to go faster when I started. And then it became, you know, how long can I go on the trails and woods and just, and, you know, taste that pain a little bit of the whole training part, as well as the race itself and use that in everyday life. The first time you ran more than a marathon, I guess, the first time you ran more than 26 miles, did you enjoy it? Or at some point were you, were you like, damn, I'm out here for a long time. <laughs> that yes, definitely the latter, man. So this is the one I did in Alabama. It was a, I believe it was three or four loops that we ran, you know, so eight, just say eight mile loops. So it became very monotonous because at that point I didn't have I guess the mental stamina to do the same thing, you know, over and over and over again, right? Where I'm running the same loop. So it became monotonous. That has developed over time through ultra running, that mental strength to get out and do some crazy stuff, whether it's a one mile loop, running a hundred miles or whatever it happens to be. But uh, the ability to like, keep the mind engaged it took a while to get it, to get there. Mm, and I know you had mentioned to me, but how many ultra marathons have you run at, at this point? I've run uh, close to 20 um, ultra marathons total, and that's anywhere from 50Ks, a couple 50 milers. And then in the last six months, I've jumped up and done, completed a couple 100 milers. How many 100 mile, miles total? Two. Damn, that's a Two. lot of running. <laughs> a lot, man. Yes. Would you say that the 100 mile races were the most challenging, or did you have a, a different race that was more challenging than the 100 mile race? It, you know, it's a great question, but it always seems like each one, like, you know, the 50Ks at that point, obviously most challenging. The 50 mile has got its different, you know, challenges with it. But the 100 is one to where you go out and, you know, just say the first one I did in Alabama, it started at 7 a.m. I didn't get done running until the next day at around 10, 11 o'clock in the afternoon. So I'm running for 28, 28 some odd hours out in the woods. You know, you start running, work your way through, uh, you know. For me, and just for some of your listeners, that ultra marathon game is, you know, I'm not an elite, right? I'm probably a mid-pack, maybe top one-third runner, just going to get the job done. But I'll run up until just say 40 to 50 miles, pretty good. That's probably 85, 90% of that time is spent running. And then the hike and the shuffling of the feet starts coming as your body wears out. And uh, it becomes more of a hike, run, shuffle your feet when you can that last 50 miles. Okay, so let's walk through a 100-mile race. I know I have a lot of questions around that, and I'm sure a lot of listeners will as well. First of all, before the race, let's talk about the training. So do you have any 100-mile races coming up? I don't have anything on the schedule now, just with everything up in air, but I will do one, plan to do another one this year. So training up for that or just keeping the body engaged and ready to go. And then, um, you know, we'll definitely do a couple next year as well. So let's take the one upcoming as just an example, and then we'll go a bit backwards and look at the one you actually did run. So if you're starting to train for a 100-mile race, obviously they're all incredibly impressive. Running 50 miles is, is uh, you know, no, no small feat. That's, that's tremendous. But 100 miles, so how, how does one even start to prepare for that? 
breaking it down in bite-sized pieces, right? So the training always goes to where I would, you know, start. And I'm not really a high mileage guy, right? There's people that run these 100-mile races and they put in 70, 80, 90, 100-mile weeks. For me, that's a lot with the two kids, business and everything else going on. So I, I usually keep it, like I will start, usually keep the base up pretty good. I'm running about 30, 40 miles a week, even when I'm not training for a race. But I'll start to inch that up as we get closer to race day. And I'm usually topping out in the mid upper 50s miles per week during training. And do you take days off? Yeah, but you know, I'll I'll run. That's usually six days on, one day off. So you're running about like 10 miles a day. Yeah. Yep. I know like Cam Haynes for a while, he was posting like a marathon a day. Oh, he's, he's insane. Next level of what he does. I mean, I'll go out now and do a lot of runs where I will do like a morning run. And then an evening run. So if it's like, hey, 20 miles for the day, if I've got the time to do it, great. You know, let's go do it and jump out in the woods. You know, you really start to learn to get the same benefit. Even if you break it up throughout the day, it's more about time on feet and just going out and doing some, you know, things, even when your body really doesn't want to run. I think that's the key to victory in all this, whether you're marathon training or you're in the trails, is there's going to be a lot of days, man. It's the last thing you want to do is lace your shoes up, but you got to go out and get it done. Yeah. So you have a family as well you have your own business. How do you find time to balance all that? I mean, when you're running 10 miles, you know, that's even if you're running at a slow pace in a trail, maybe, maybe that's like, uh, that's definitely more than an hour. So um, once you start inching into 20 miles, even 15 plus miles, you're talking about a significant amount of time in, in your day away from your business, your family, other hobbies, passions, things, things of that nature. So how do you find time to, to balance all that? Early mornings, man. That's the uh, usually for me. I'll get out some running groups and also some workout buddies where I get up and work work out or run. Usually, a lot of times like five five thirty in the morning, and then also uh, get some in the you know the afternoon and evening. Having the business gives me the flexibility sometimes to run in the day and pick and choose when I can. But uh, yeah, definitely have to look at it and plan it out. As a week, my wife works out in the morning as well, so just a matter of us balancing it out and, and picking the spots. Yeah, that that makes sense. So now I want to go backwards to your first 100 mile race. All right, so you get you get to the race. You're all you trained, you prepared, and also what what was the first 100 mile race? First 100 mile was Pinhody in Alabama. So it runs the Pinhody Trail, fairly treacherous, pretty rocky. It's technical, you know. It's a lot of single track, so you know maybe one two runners wide, and that whole race is about 17,000 feet of elevation. So there's some climb in it. Trained a little bit forward, you know, living in Atlanta, there are hills, but certainly nothing like that. But uh, yeah, leading up to it was feeling good going into the race and uh, actually took a couple weeks off at the back end of training. This was in November of last year. So really hammered a lot through the summer and uh, more than I'd ever run in the summer in the hot months. And then took a couple weeks off and was ready to go in November. So you get there, you're fully prepared, you feel good. You start running and you said you run basically the first like 40 to 50 miles straight through. Yeah. Yeah. First 40, 50. So these races too, for your listeners is not for me with ultras, but it's usually an aid station every six, seven, eight miles. Right. So, you know, you start out running, bam, the gun goes off 7am. You take off in the woods, a couple hundred other nut, nut jobs and you're, um, you know, you start running. So you hit that first aid station, you know, you're really just really gauging. You don't want to burn yourself out. Cause you know, you have such a long day ahead of you, you know? So um, for me, it was all about, you know, these, they become nutrition and eating contests as well. 
So what are you, you know, what are you consuming, making sure you're getting enough calories in and not have a deficit so we can keep the steam, steam rolling. So there's an aid station every, you said six, six, seven, eight miles. There is, yep. What if you need like uh, water or snacks in between that? Most people have are the backpack, you know, wearing person. I personally don't like those or just have something on me. So what I do, which is pretty uncommon, but I just load my pockets up, gels, chews, whatever. And then I've got one or two handheld bottles for water to get me aid station to aid station. In the New York Marathon, I don't know if it's similar with Boston, but there's like not really like an aid station, but there's like water and bananas and other things. Like I feel, I guess it's every mile. I think there's one every mile. So is it the same way for Boston? Yeah, I want to say Boston's every couple miles. You know, there was something there like an aid station, and that's that's the thing I think difference with road running and trails is road. You're really trying to jackhammer through those aid stations. You may grab a cup of water, but then you're off going. Where in a trail race. Yeah, you don't want to stay too long, especially early on, but you want to be there long enough to say, hey, let me grab a handful of chips, peanut butter and jelly sandwich, square jelly beans, whatever it is, and then fill your water bottle up and go. That makes sense. All right. So you're running how many times between when you're running from mile zero to mile 40? Would you say you stopped? So how I am, man, my body and training, I do pretty good. So, you know, I do pretty good for the first, just say, 20 miles other than stopping briefly at an aid station but i'm running most of that 20 to 25 sure you know you get a big elevation i typically walk or try to power hike as quick as i can up like if it's a big hill just so i can save a little bit of quads and save my legs so you'll actually walk the hills as opposed to running those yeah most of them are i'm trying to get up that hill as quick as i can but i'm certainly not hammering away on a big hill okay so at mile 40 what starts to change 40 for both of the 100 milers is when, you know, for me, also not to be in a big gel person, which a lot of people use, it's a good calorie intake and to kind of get some of those electrolytes back. But both those races at around 40, 45 is when it started to get dark. So you're naturally going to slow down a little bit. And then also just from consuming so much food, gels, peanut butter, jelly sandwiches, whatever you happens to be. For me, the stomach pain started coming in. I'm like, wow, this is getting rough. And I got to figure out how to keep eating here a little bit so I don't bonk completely out. At this point, I don't want to consume anything, right? So I'm just, I'm slowing down naturally because it's starting to get darker. and I'm watching footing. I've got a headlamp, you know, and this is also about the time around that 40 mile mark where you can pick up a pacer. So a buddy that's going to, you know, be there with you on the trail to help you run, kind of keep you motivated and push you along. You get to choose who those people are? You do, yes. I've had the privilege uh, a couple of times, a couple of really good buddies did Pinhody with me. One that's a workout guy from Atlanta, I know really well. And then another guy that has run several of these 100 milers. So his knowledge was amazing and really uh, beneficial to get me across the finish line the first one. What if they're pacing like slower than you? You make sure you're not going to pick someone like that. Yeah. And your legs are already like tired. So at this point too, man, so I'm, I just say in going back in that first 30, 40 miles, I'm running that in the trails at probably a nine and a half, maybe a 10, 10 and a half minute pace, right? So pretty decent clip from the trails, but come mile 40, 45-ish, 50, that pace slows down because I'm getting some, you know, I'm starting to incorporate walking a little more. That overall pace might be 13 to 14 minutes. So these dudes are jumping out of the car pretty fresh, albeit it might be at 
you know, eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night and they're going in the evening or in the wee hours, but that's a pace they can usually kind of match. Do you sleep at all during the race or no? No, no, it's going. Do people or no? Not in these, man. The 200 milers, a little bit different. Those are, those guys will typically, gals will typically get a couple hours of sleep. Maybe every, those go across like three to four days. So usually in the 100 mile, you have about 24, or you have about 30 to 35 hours to complete it is the cutoff. In a one, 200 miler, it's about 100 hours to complete. When you're sleeping, do you know, does that count towards your time? It does. Clock never stops, man. You're going. Courtney DeWalter, I think she was on Joe Rogan's podcast and she said she slept for like 30 seconds. Yeah. She's, I've seen those, yeah, YouTube and some of the stuff she puts out, it is just, the tiger and the fight in her, it's unparalleled, man. Okay, so you, you get a buddy, you start running mile 50, 40, 40 plus, mile 50 plus. Take me through like the second half of the race and what that's like. So yeah, going back in, both of these kind of mirrored, right? Some, some of the stomach pains going through where you feel like you are going to hurl out there on the trail and don't want to, you know, take another, really another step. But um, so for me, both races, the pain train started at about mile 50-ish. You know, and then and then carried on, right? So you getting through going back to Pinhody, the first one, you know, it's cold. I say cold, I mean for, for Alabama, it's maybe 40, 38, 40 degrees. You know, and at mile sixty-three of Pinhody, I sat down at the aid station, there's a big campfire there, and I'm completely spent, man. I'm done. Not to the point where I'm gonna quit or drop, but I'm like, dude, the thoughts start coming to my mind I'm like, holy cow, I'm this tired. And you're telling me I've got another 37, 38 miles to go. So luckily, buddy that had run the 200 mile before was pacing me at the time. And he said, hey, man, you got to eat, man. It's what's happening right now is your body is so starved that you just you have to pound stuff. So this dude's bringing me ramen noodles, a couple glasses of Coke, and just something to get me going and charge back up to get back on my feet. How do your legs feel at this point? They're dead, man. They feel like cement blocks. What about your feet? Pretty beat up. So it, around that time too, so coming in, you know, 63 back in Pinhody, buddy got me back on my feet. I'm going after about a six, seven minute stop there. And, um, you know, we get there and I, I, I didn't change shoes. A lot of times people will change shoes quite a bit or just check blisters. I had never had issues with blisters before, but man, I take my shoes off at mile 68, I believe. And man, I got two or three big blisters all over my feet in bad shape. And we did a little surgery set up a little triage unit there, man, and got busy and, and got me back out there. Oh, man. What did, what did they do? They just caught the blisters off? Yeah, blisters, like a moleskin pack. So go in there, man, pop the blisters, wrap it up. And my lovely wife, she's the foot doctor on our on the crew team. So uh, she got through, drew that short straw. <laughs> oh, it's it sounds crazy. But it sounds like really up until mile 40, you're like, you're feeling pretty good. Like everything... No worries, man. Mile 40, it's, hey, the world is my oyster, right? I mean, I'm going along good. There's going to be no issues. And then, you know, little things pop up. And that's, there's so much unexpected because going back on the training we talked about a minute ago is my longest training run, man, might be 24, 25 miles, right? So you just don't know what's going to happen to you. Could be, maybe you've never been a cramp person. Your legs start cramping bad at mile 60, right? Or maybe you I've never had stomach issues and this pops up. So these things are really all about what I've learned is the problem solving that you you get into it because so many things pop up that could mentally derail you from your race, right? I mean, you know, if you don't 
if you don't kind of go into it knowing that you're going to get hit and maybe with something way out of left field, you know, you can start mind working yourself out or where you drop these. That's usually what happens to people that drop is they, they get hit with something they hadn't seen before in training. And, and then they're like, man, I got, it's cold. I'm tired. I'm wet. I got 30 miles to go. Heck with this. I'm done. <laughs> Was there any point during that race where you considered or thought about stopping? No, no, and it, not at all. Not at all, man. That was um, your buddy of mine that had run these. That was his big advice. He's like, you got to go in there, full belief that you are going to finish the race, and like no matter what, no matter what, man, no matter. I mean, injury aside, right? If you injure, twist your ankle, roll your ankle, whatever. Yeah, that's probably going to take you out, right? But um, you know, his thing is just you just got to keep keep going. At mile seventy, sounds like at mile sixty eight. So you do the you fix up your blisters get your shoes back on. What's going through your mind at that point? Not a lot. I mean, it's maybe it's because of my low IQ, man, but I'm going through where it's just, I'm trying to mentally check out as much as I can, right? Because I know if I start focusing so much on, man, I'm so tired, I can barely keep my eyes open or my legs feel like they're 200 pounds a piece. The more I'm putting energy into that, man, it's sucking every little bit I've got out of me to where it's going to be very hard for me to, to keep moving. It sounds weird, man, but it's, I try to mentally check out as much as possible in these races. Yeah, I think that makes sense. You're just trying to like keep your mind clear. Are you at that point, you're running and walking or mainly walking? Mainly walking. So going back on the Pinhody Trail, good buddy of mine, Nate Rosells, he's pacing me at the time. So he comes in at about mile 73, 74, and we've got this big hill to climb that everybody in the race reports is like, oh, man, this is going to be a crazy hill. It's early in the wee hours of the night, three, four o'clock in the morning. So, you know, it, it becomes a close to religious experience out there, man. If you're out there just grinding it out and everything is out of you and you're just trying to keep going, man. So is it like the last 20 miles or so you're, you're mainly walking? Yes. So Buddy did a great job of saying people would be in front of me and say, hey, here's a good point. Shuffle your feet. Because at this time for me, 75, 80 miles, every little hill or incline looks like a mountain, right? Mount Everest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walmart, man. So I'm, I've got little to give up these rises and hills. So we hit a downhill and it's, look, shelf of your feet, man. Try to get a little bit of speed going and, um, you know, we'll get through this thing. Yeah, I would imagine at that point, like I, I've never run that that much by any means, but I would imagine at that point, if you're in the trail, like I'd be just try- trying to tell myself, like I've gone on a million hikes, my legs are shot, but this is just we're hiking this, we're hiking this. Yeah, I'd be trying to tell my things like that. So, is there anything going through your mind or things you're telling yourself to keep your mind positive and, I guess, push off negative thoughts that might be popping into your head? Yeah, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about, hey, let's just one step forward or tree to tree. Let me just get not, you know, not look so far ahead in the distance of, man, I've got 20 miles left and oh my gosh, every step is painful or every, you know, five, 600 feet. So for for me, it's just a big thing of, man, if I can make it to that next aid station, right? I know it's going to painful and it's going to suck at times, especially like you mentioned a minute ago, like hiking, right? You're always thinking, dude, I, I got this. It's only three miles to the aid station. I've hiked three miles or ran three miles hundreds of times, but man, it, I, it's hard to explain how long that freaking that last three miles seems right when you're in it. So it's, it's really just find a way. If I know I can get that aid station, can kind of recover for a minute mentally, physically, get some nutrition and then get back out there and finish this thing. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I think the mind, I mean, I have like anxiety. You're just telling me this and I'm thinking my own experience running a marathon, running 26 miles and thinking, you know, I'm trying to think through what that experience was like for me. And a hundred miles just seems like a tremendous number. And for me, when, when I ran the marathon, I was not, I did not train properly by any means, but I'd say at like mile 20, I was like, that's when the race started. That's when the the pain started to sink in. And I had made a commitment to myself just mentally. I said, no matter what, I won't stop running. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning, I just said, okay, I'm going to run. I'm going to run this thing. and I'm not going to stop. And just one foot in front of the other, you know, that, that was sort of my, my thinking process going into it. It sounds like for these ultra races, you need to be a lot more, obviously you need to come in with some training or a lot of training, but you need to come in with a much greater plan and really strategically think about how you're going to attack it. But I think even more than that, it sounds like so much of it is a mental game. It totally is, Dan. And the same thing with your marathon, right? I think that's always you hear people say, you're, like, you're going to hit the wall mile 20 and you do, right? It seems like most people that have that marathon experience, it becomes a mental grit fest at mile 2022. 20, and that's the same thing in these ultras is, you know, and, and I've run 50 Ks where I'm like, dude, I'm, I am bonked out, depleted. How in the heck am I going to finish this thing at mile 25, 26, right? But it really becomes a mind game that you have to play. You know, things I can't control what's going to pop up in my mind, right? Or like I, I have a very positive mindset to begin with, but I'm out there on the trails, man. And, and you know, I'm a little sleep deprived, food deprived. I'm beat. A lot of things pop up that you have to try to nip in the bud right away and not focus on the negative because you can really derail your race in a heartbeat. So I think the mind's always like an interesting thing because a lot of people walk their lives with limiting beliefs. I can't do that. I can't do this. There's no way that's possible. A lot of people tell themselves these stories where they put these limiting constraints on their life, on the things they can and can't do. So how have you been able to, you know, train your mind to be able to go out and and run these races. And I'm sure that's applied to other areas of, of your life as well. Now, you know, you're like, oh, I've, I've run ultra races. I can do so much more than I thought once whatever was possible. So how, how do you, or how have you trained your mind to be able to go and do those things? That's a great question, man. I mean, I, I look at it as yes, 100%, man, the, the, the belief to be able to overcome and endure completing some of these longer races gives you so much power, right? I mean, you could get hit and, feel like you will overcome, right? You might lose in the moment, but you'll find a way to, to overcome or beat to that adversity or challenge you're facing. But I, I think it just go for me, it goes back to doing something every day, man. So I, and it might be waking up at 5 a.m. It may be, you know, like a lot of people are doing of just saying, look, I'm going to jump. I'm going to take a get uncomfortable, right? So I'm going to take a cold shower. I'm going to take a cold like ice bath. I'm going to train. I love training in the morning. Well, I'm going to start training at night. Just my whole thing is my life is really built around finding challenges every day. So come race day, man, I've seen a lot of this stuff, right? I've seen some of the suck and, you know, I know I'm going to be able to get it done. Yeah. Like, why do you personally feel the need to challenge yourself in, in this way? I think if there is adversity and there are things waiting to like derail you and pounce on your life and tear it apart. You know what I mean? You may have a great life up until the age of 45, man, right? And something may hit you, but I just think there's so many opportunities that are out there for us to get pulled out of our game or out of the game and this journey that we're on in life that for me, it's just, I try to keep my mind and body and spirit 
charged up, ready to go to take that on. And that, and I haven't always been like that, right? I mean, up until I'd say probably the age of, you know, early thirties, things had always been easy for me. There had been no issues, lived a very charmed life. So I think once you start, you get in life and you face some adversity, you're face like, wow, this is real. I didn't think that would ever happen to me. The better prepared you are to handle that, the faster you're going to be able to come through those moments. Mm. So is there something that you do outside of running to work on mental strength, visualization, things of that nature? It was really interesting. I just I just posted the podcast live today, but the last podcast I did was with a UFC fighter. Crazy story. This guy wanted to, he was at a UFC fight and he said, I wanted, I wanted to do that. Wow. He was overweight. He was already sort of outside of his athletic prime and never boxed it in his life, never did jiu-jitsu and said, I want to be a UFC fighter. And he dropped everything and started training his ass off, lost over a hundred miles. And he became a, he won the ultimate fighter. Wow. And um, he was telling me that his two biggest regrets looking backwards is that he set his goal too low. You know, he said he wanted to be a UFC fighter and he hit that and he got that. But then he, unfortunately, he, he, he went on to have some follow-up fights and uh, got dropped, I think three or four fights after. And then the other thing he said is he didn't work at all. He would always do the physical stuff in the gym, the running, the road work, the training, but he didn't do any mental work. And he thinks that that is sort of what separated both himself and the other elite talent, or really he was saying anyone that's in the UFC or anyone that's in a, an elite sport, take it NFL, NBA, MLB, the guys that are the superstars and the guys that are just on the team. And then also the guys that don't make the cut. He's like, so much of that is a mental strength. It's a mental game. Once you're, once you all have those physical skills. So I'm curious how much you do in regards to, training your mind, visualization, things of that nature. And I guess also if you have some mantra when you're out there running 100 miles, uh, you know, that you're continually telling yourself to help push push through those brick walls. Yeah, no, it's, I'm big on positive mindset, right? And, and, and so I'm positive, optimistic. So, you know, my, my wife likes to call me Pollyanna, like everything's all great in my world, right? But I, I so I'm <laughs> like that, but I'm also human, right? There's There's times of like, daily like self-doubt may pop in of some me thinking hey man can i do this should i do this or somebody else may be telling me hey who are you to do that or that's a dream why why would you dream that big so going back on from a routine that is for me is like i wake up in the mornings that usually looks like something to where i'm going to read something or feed my mind some positive mental nutrition and that's great it gets me gets me off to a great start but I've found, and even in this COVID time, right, where things are a little wild and wacky for everybody, I've even found myself having to do that multiple times in the day. You know, just like a lot of us, I think we can get bogged down or you say, man, I had a bad moment or a bad business call or whatever it is, and that can derail your day. I just don't think we have many days to spare, man. We just, we have no clue what holds for us tomorrow. So I, I try to now, I've gotten better with it through a lot of training and and mindset training is to recognize when those negative thoughts pop up and, you know, recognize them, know they're there and then get out of that mode quickly, run out of it as quick as I can. Yeah. So in terms of the race, were you at any point, either, I guess, a hundred mile race, were you at any point, did like panic ever set in or, or no? It did, man. So the, the first one went pretty good, right? Say for so much unknown running through the night, the stomach pains at mile 40, you know, just getting through that through the night and how emotional it was to come out of the woods for a little bit and see my wife. So that was, that was a great experience. The first one, but the second one, 
I knew more what to expect. And a story from that race is, um, you know, I'm running along good. I had actually set a goal to run under 26 hours, beat my last time by two, you know, two or three hours there. So was going along and at mile 87, my wife had just so happened to be pacing me for a few miles and my leg, man, just completely blows up my knee. Can't lift my leg. So I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm starting to beat myself up a little bit and think like, man, I've, I've done the hard stuff, man. I've run through the night. I've been out here for 20 some odd hours. I'm cruising along my goal pace. So my leg gets to where I can barely lift it. So I'm thinking like, man, I'm not going to stop, but it, I'm probably going to time out of this sucker and be pulled off the race course. So luckily, you know, wife's there with me. We stop, say a prayer, and just kind of, you know, get get my head back in the game. She sees me struggling with that, um, you know, getting frustrated. But like I'm I'm going from running a, you know, and walking a 16-minute pace to where, man, I'm, I'm rendered to walking and hobbling like 45 46 minute per mile pace, right? So struggling. That was the first true test of like, dude, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish this thing and it's going to suck to be out here this long, right? And put this much time in it to be pulled off four miles to go. But um, luckily was able to make it to the next aid station a couple of miles down the road. I've got my hand on her shoulder and I'm hobbling back in. And then my pit crew's there, a couple pacer buddies, Awesome dudes waiting on me, and um, you know we got the knee patched up and was able to finish the race. So when those things come into your mind, um, or panic starts to set in, when you're getting up off the chair and you you have twenty, thirty, forty miles left to go, what are you telling yourself to push through that? For me, there's a, a, a mantra is just relentless forward motion, right? So even though I may look down, and, and I think there's so many adversities in life, whether it was something in business, personal relationship, or whatever it was. I've tasted pain before, right? So I know what that looks like. I know how my mind is going to react to that in those situations. So not getting bogged down too much in that moment or getting into a big pit party. So I try to quickly, yes, I have those emotions like the rest of us when I hit a hard spot, but I I find a way, I know I've got to get out of that as quick as possible, right? If I'm going to achieve this task of getting this big race done. Um, So you know, getting back on my feet and moving. And it may not be at a eight minute, nine minute clip there at the end. I'm going to be moving forward towards that finish line. So are you telling yourself relentless forward motion over and over and over again? Definitely. Definitely. And I think that's, you got Chad Wright that runs a lot of these ultras that I, I pulled some stuff from him and use that in that Chattanooga race, but it's power of the spoken word, right? So you get out there and what you're saying and feeding. If you say, if I'm repeating, oh man, my leg hurts so bad, my knee, my knee, my knee. I start to bring that in and just pulls the energy out of my body. So I'm, I'm, I believe in what he's talking about and the power of that spoken word is, Hey, I, I feel great. Whether you're repeating that to yourself out loud or, you you know, internally internal dialogue, it's just, I know I've got to keep going forward. Let's keep moving. Yeah. So it sounds like you really live by this idea that you need to put yourself in hard situations. You need to challenge yourself. You know, I think you sort of, alluded to it or mentioned it, but you feel it's important to do hard things every single day because life's hard and you're going to face adversity and there's challenges. I'm curious, before you found running, before you were running, how has your life changed outside of running from before and then after running? Because it sounds like so much of the lessons you learn out there, probably more so than running the marathon, but the ultra marathons has, has taught you and maybe calloused you in some ways to become tougher and really to to understand on some emotional spiritual physical level that you can push yourself so much further than maybe you once thought and 
things of that nature. So I'm curious what what that's been like. The evolution, I think, as as a you know, in, in my journey, evolution as a man is, you know, I grew up only child, right? But it was all about me growing up. So I was very and that as that carried into business and luckily it had some decent success through sales and then starting my own business at 31, 32. So I was more ego driven, right? Like, hey, I've got some status, I've got a little bit of money, you know, here's what I'm pushing for. But it was always about money, right? Always about me. And what we, you know, let's kind of get everything around where I'm the center of it. So I think through through adversity and through a few hardships over that time and in business, it became more about others, right? So how can I? I get so much more enjoyment, man. If I can help somebody else or help push them to somewhere they didn't think they could be or they were capable of doing, man, that's much more rewarding than me crossing the finish line of a hundred mile race or me doing some achievement. So you know, I try to really work that every day that evolve or evolved into more of how can I help, you know, fellow man. Yeah, I love that. I feel like as I look in my own life for all the hardships I faced, I love boxing and I still, I mean, not during all this, but I grew up and did did some competitive boxing, kickboxing specifically. And now in the later years, I've taken more of a liking to boxing, but um, I love sparring still. And I, although I no longer compete competitively, I think there's so many lessons when you're facing a big, scary, scary human who's coming to take your head off. I mean, it's just you and that other person in the ring. I think there's always some lesson that you can draw from that and apply it into your life to, you know, become stronger physically, emotionally, spiritually. And uh, I think for all the hard things that you do, you know, whether it be something physical, once you do overcome it, you realize, hey, like I can really push myself a lot further here. Totally, Dan. I mean, it's what um, I love that thing about, you know, the boxing, right? Because I'm running, unless a bear is chasing me, man, I've got nothing else out there that's going to come and try to beat on me, right? So, um, you know, there's just so many, whether I think if you're going through boxing, running, whatever your thing is, in life that gets you charged up. There's a whole other gear out there, man. There's a gear that we don't tap into a lot. I didn't tap in for, for many, many years of my life, but I've learned really in the last three, four, five years, there's so much more, whether, you know, hey, I hate running hills. Well, crap, I know I got to go out and, and try to hammer hills or I hate running at night. Well, man, I'm going to start working in some night runs. So I look for those things that I hate to do. And those are yeah. the that I've got to get out and do, man. Yeah, it's it's funny how I, I think a lot of people stay in their comfort zone, I guess just because it's a space of comfort. But I think there's so much growth on the other side of being uncomfortable and really pushing yourself. And I know there's other people who have said things of, of this nature, but I do think that like as a whole, a lot of people are pretty, generally speaking, relatively soft today or softer than maybe years ago where people tap out a lot faster or once they feel any level of discomfort they're like ah, i can just go back to being comfortable but i really believe in that wholeheartedly you need to push yourself and it's funny i have i have a good buddy that um he's always telling me you know he's trying to do one thing that scares him every day and um he's a musician and he would tell me that he used to fear other people judging him when he would reach out for gigs or opportunities and then he's like, you know what? I need to get rejected. I need to face rejection because that's my fear. And he would go for things that he knew he couldn't even get just to be able to face and deal with more rejection just so he could sort of like lay in that and be like, listen, I've already I've already dealt with this numerous times. It's so good for him, man. You, you, I think you have to do that. And, and, and then you can also build, talked about training a minute ago. It's like, I think you can be a hard dude or a hard person and say, no, look, I'm, 
I'm waking up at 5 a.m. every day. I'm going to hit the weights. I'm going to CrossFit or I'm going to do that. And, man, yes, you will build a lot of mental toughness and strength. I think the next level, what I've seen the last year or so, is that next level of mental toughness for me has been, okay, those are great. But, man, okay, I always run in the morning at 5 a.m. or 5.30. That's great. You know, I'm early riser. But, man, go out and run in the dead of night at 11 o'clock at night for 8, 10, 12 miles and start doing some of those things that are out of your normal routine. There's a lot of growth that comes from that as well. Is there anything outside of running that you do to train yourself mentally to become uh, mentally stronger? Is there anything outside of running that you do? Running is the main thing I think for me is, is also, you know, I've gotten really involved in, um, you know, challenging buddies. I used to always be the guy that was a cheer, big cheerleader for a buddy. So I'm, somebody calls me with a problem. I'm a big rah-rah guy and, and, and motivator, but I've started to really be, I think, be a better friend and true friend tell them what they need to, need to hear versus what they want to hear. So I think for me, that, that's been a big step out of my comfort zone is how I've started to challenge buddies. If I see somebody kind of falling off their game, might be like, hey, let's go do this, or you know, you should, you know, give that a shot. What does it feel like when you cross the finish line? Oh man, it's 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 an amazing, it's complete mental and physical exertion almost for me. I mean, there's people that cross the finish line and they're cranking beers, right? But for me, it's especially in Penhody, it was like I cross the finish line, walk about a hundred yards, pretty much collapse on a blanket in the in the turf we finished up at a high school, and then man, I'm just a walking zombie, getting up and going back to the car. And Penhody really wrecked my body and mind the first 100 miler for, I was like three or four weeks, man. I, I didn't want to run and really couldn't run. Chattanooga was a lot better. I was back out running. I made just because I was mentally knew what, what to expect, trained a little differently. But I was back running again after a few days and wanting to run and charge for more after the Chattanooga in March. Yeah, I, I imagine at the end of that race, either one, your legs are just completely jello, You're just dead. like dead. Yeah. Did you feel, I mean, 100 compared to 26 miles compared to 50 miles, it's so much more. So is there a significantly greater level of satisfaction in finishing 100 than 50 or 36 or 26? Yeah, more so. I think for me, man, like finishing a marathon or 50K, there's more in the moment enjoyment across the finish line. And then, but you're, I was so exhausted at the end of the 100 mile, not sleeping, not really sleeping really good even the night before the race just kind of going over the things and mentally trying to picture you know spots I wanted to be in overcoming stuff but so you finish those but then then you the strength for me after the 100 miles comes a couple of days after where it's just this sense of accomplishment man my body's beat up I'm laid on the couch my feet up and I'm like man you, you've done something pretty cool here let's enjoy it <laughs> and um, enjoy this pain and get ready to get back out there yeah so after my marathon at least and this might be a, a little bit of a against the grain here and probably a little bit taken as an, a negative statement, but I did not train properly by any means. I had signed up for the marathon. My mom got sick and she had passed away. And then a lot of people were telling me, you don't have to run the marathon. You don't have to run the marathon. And I was like, no, 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 I need to run the marathon. Like I didn't train properly by any means, but this is life. Like life's hard. I need to get out there and, and run this race. And like I said, I committed in my mind. I'm like, I'm going to run the whole time, no matter what. But at the end, the whole time I was thinking, like I started doing research. And I'm like, how many people run marathons every year? And it, it's a lot of people run marathons. And I'm like, this is a good starting point. But it's the people like you that are running these ultras where it's really, there's not that many people that are running. I mean, it's grown a lot as a, as a sport now in terms of people who are running ultra races. 
like a lot of people run a marathon and you know i think for the most part and this is my experience and i'm in decent shape and i think for the most part you can hammer out and you can you can push yourself to run a marathon if even if you didn't don't train you know you could walk run jog and keep doing that just keep putting one foot in front of the other i don't know like i don't think you can just I'm almost certain you can't just go out and run a hundred miles. You know, you really need to train all facets, mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, et cetera. Yeah. Human body, man, and the mind are, are absolutely amazing. Right? I would never put anything past anybody just saying, Hey, I'm in decent shape. I'm a crossfitter. I'm going to go out and run a hundred miles or 50. I think you're, you would deal with it more in the aftermath where your body would be pretty, pretty ravaged and beat up. I've seen people do amazing stuff out there. I mean, I've been on these trails and, you know, the elite runners are great. These people hammering out these 15, 16, 17 hour 100s or even the people in marathons, right? They're doing two hours, 20 minutes, whatever. That's absolutely amazing. But I, I think there's just as much credit to that back end marathoner, right? That's out there for seven, eight hours and they're just finding a way to keep going towards the finish line. I mean, that's and you've seen the ultras people running for what, 35 hours. I'm curious, what does your wife think of your, uh, you're running a hundred miles? She thinks I'm crazy. Um, obviously now she's, I think she's, she's gotten used to it and just knows I do some of this crazy stuff. So she knows yeah. Jack again, whatever he's doing, but, um, it's just, she knows. And I think as our relationship has grown where we, you know, we've been married for 17 years and we've become more of just that team, you know, true team now and how we raise our kids. But she knows that running for me, whether I was running or big and across, whatever I'm doing to challenge myself mentally so I can show up as a better husband, leader, father, she's all for it. Yeah, you got to have a little bit of crazy in you to, to run 100 miles, not once, twice, and more to come. There's a little bit there. No, I'm, I'm no doubt. Your kids, you said they're, they're, they're young? They're, yeah, seven and 11. Seven-year-old daughter, 11-year-old son. And they've come, you know, they, they'll... Haven't been to many of the longer trail races because those are set up a little differently. You know, you're out there most of the day, but they've definitely seen, you know, see dad get out in the mornings. And we do a boot camp with them now um, while school's been out two or three days a week, get them up, get them out there moving. And it's so, uh, so uplifting to see them, you know, getting after it. And uh, they don't want to do it, but that's like we talked about, man, <laughs> things when you, you have to get it done. What would you say, I guess, if you wanted to, if your kids are listening to this 10, 15 years down the road, what would you say is the lessons? And obviously we, we spoke about quite a bit that you've gotten as a result of running these ultra races, but what would you say would be like the number one lesson um, or piece of advice you'd give them as a result of you running these races, if you could impart some wisdom on, on them? Biggest thing for, for them, I think for the kids, which I think a lot is like, as they grow up and mature is like, man, don't let people define your life. Don't let even me or your mom or any of your friends or family tell you you can or can't do something. I think that's that's so often we get put in this little box and we stay there. So for me, it's just, hey, man, keep dreaming, keep growing. Look, I'm an average guy that has done some, you know, 100 mile races. I want to do more and go longer down the road. But but people and you can do some amazing things when you believe that you can and you kind of insulate yourself from the outside world that's going to a lot, a lot of times tell you you can or can't do something. Yeah, I love that. Well, in this last hour, you've certainly inspired me. I'm signed up to run the New York Marathon again, and this time I'm planning on actually training. And I signed up for a half too, but it got canceled due to all this. But um, I'm intrigued by the ultra races. I, I, I sense that maybe that'll be on the horizon a few years down the road. Well, let's go, Dan. I'll join you. <laughs> I have a buddy who's got a lot of crazy in him. And um, 
he's an athletic freak. And um, I've done some hiking trips with him and I'm hiking. There's a tremendous amount of elevation gain and I'm like struggling and he's carrying up a, a boulder because he wants more of a challenge. And on his 26th birthday, he's like, oh, you know, I told him I was running the marathon. This is going back some time. He's like, I figured I should run a marathon too. Just went outside, ran 26 miles. And I'm like, oh, you're crazy. He wants to sign up together to do like an, an ultra race. That's great, man. Good for you guys. And it, you, you need, that's the thing too, that I've learned is, you know, no one's going to, running is like, no one's going to carry across that finish line usually. Right. But it's, it's, it helps so much. And it's helped me a lot finding my own little tribe of crazy people that do these, that, that we can push each other and, and, um, you know, get across the finish line and train and just have that camaraderie, which is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. One last question. What would be your advice to anyone who's trying to explore or get into ultra races? You run a marathon and now you want the next challenge. Yeah. So if you're just say, if you're from a road or you've done road marathons and getting into trails is just get out and start exploring the trail, right. And know that your pace is going to be slower you know, figure out that whole flow of what you need because usually you're not just jackhammering away in the woods like you might do on the flat pavement. So just get out there, lace them up and, and give it a shot. And you might find that you love that. For me, it's just that disconnect and be able to get out of the city and the job and the family stress. And I can just really disconnect for a few hours. So it's it's been for me, I mean, I, I'd love for everybody to get that feeling or some escape like that because I believe we all need it. Yeah, Absolutely. Where can people get a hold of you if they want to reach out, connect, if they want any running tips or anything of that nature? Where can people get a hold of you? Yeah, man, no, I appreciate it. I'm newer to the Instagram world, but at runjackj is the Instagram handle there. So you have to reach me out. Love to give anybody tips, words of encouragement, or any any of my experiences that can help them on their journey and help them maybe hit 200 miles one day. Yeah, this was awesome. Thanks, thanks so much, Jack. And um, can't wait to get this one out in the world. Thanks a lot, Dan. Take care, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast. I found this one awesome, hearing Jack's story, hearing what it's like being out running 100 miles at a time. Something that's definitely pondering, thinking about potentially doing one day. That is something to scratch off on the bucket list for sure. If you like this episode, please, please, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts would mean the world. More to come next week. Thanks so much for tuning in. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.